When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on giving gifts when you've been uninvited, introducing someone to another group of friends, correcting dated language, and announcing your name change. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining members, we have a special treat this week, and our question is about reacquainting with friends who took the pandemic less seriously than you did. Plus your most excellent feedback, Etiquette Salute, and for our 350th episode, we've got a postscript with Rico Galliano and Brendan Francis Noonan, formerly of The Dinner Party Download. This is our origin place. We are so excited to talk to them again. All that coming up. For the 350th time, Awesome Etiquette is coming to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Are you feeling old? Are you feeling experienced? (laughs) Are you feeling wiser? (laughs) Happy 350th episode, cuz! And a very happy 350th to you, too. So, cuz, do you remember the two questions that my father asks on important anniversaries and birthdays, really? I I know one of them is just straight up, do you feel older? (laughs) Like, are you feeling older? Are you feeling the change in number you're getting? Exactly. And usually, as you're answering or as you're contemplating the answer, he follows up with a rapid fire second question (laughs) Do you think you'll ever amount to anything? I think we've amounted to 350 podcast episodes, and I don't know how many questions that is because we've had rapid-fire question shows. We've had sometimes it was like three questions, sometimes it was five questions, but I I think we've amounted to a lot of etiquette advice. I think so, too. Good for you taking a little bow because you you deserve it. We deserve it. (laughs) Oh, it's it's this etiquette stuff, you know, it's not a walk in the park. We I think yeah, we we, we we've amounted. We've amounted, Uncle John. <laughs> I know. There's a feeling of accomplishment. And that can be your answer too. The, the it's it's a question that's designed to sort of take it out of you a little bit. And mm. at the same time, it's offered with a sort of a spirit of assuming that, yeah, no, you probably are. And <laughs> so I can I can ask with a bit of good humor. <laughs> It does feel like an accomplishment to be 350 episodes into the show, to not have missed a single week since day one, and to have, I think, both in our careers at Emily Post and in our lives, 
really seen significant change. I mean, there's, Dan, as you know, there are moments where I worry about, like, when you listen to the early episodes, are you getting advice that's kind of passe now? (laughs) Like, you know what Mm. I mean? It's been around that long. (laughs) Like... The, yeah. We should label the early episodes like vintage, vintage awesome <laughs> etiquette. I, but I, when I look at the graphics associated with the show four or five years ago, yeah. I, I won't say I cringe. <laughs> we were doing a lot with very little. <laughs> the aesthetics change over time. Mm-hmm. I was also thinking a lot about our listeners. Uh, we hear about so many people who go back and listen from the beginning and that's mm-hmm. turning into a bigger and bigger project every week. Mm-hmm. Um, but even those folks who've been with us for parts of this journey, it's it's been a really interesting one. And while some people um, spend a period of time with us, some have really invested in the whole experience and, and, and even a small subset have really been listening in real time for that long, that mm-hmm. almost five years. And mm-hmm. that's really incredible. And I want to thank everybody out there who's who's been here with us and everybody who submitted questions, as you point out, over a thousand easily, which is <laughs> I didn't I point the that math. out. It's You're incredible. doing the math. I didn't do the math. I didn't say over a thousand. I have no idea how many. Three hundred and fifty times. Question mark. We say it all the time. There would <laughs> yeah. be no show without you. And at 350, we would be remiss if we had an intro and we didn't thank everyone, both for listening and for everything that you've contributed to this show. So thank you to everyone who has listened and who has contributed something. I think it's also a really good time right now to thank everyone for the impact that your questions have had on us, that over time, they change, but they offer us such a a wonderful look into what people really are thinking about what they are struggling with. Um, Your feedback helps us understand ways to broaden our answers, but your questions do that too. Like just simply the type of question you choose to submit it it's such a, a wonderful look into the the world that we live in and how you're interpreting and experiencing it and and that's that is so important to two people who write and talk about behavior all the time i mean you, such a you good can't point. you can't do that in a vacuum it doesn't work it, it emily post wouldn't last that long if it wasn't re- reflective of the society as opposed to being a, a director of it you know what i mean um and so we really are so grateful for all of your contributions because they help us grow. Um, they help us be more inclusive. They help us see more perspectives from all kinds of different angles. And that really helps as we who, who run basically a content company go to frame that content so that it is inclusive and so that it is thoughtful and well-rounded advice. And, and we just, we are so grateful for you for all the participation that you've done with this show over, over the, how many years? <laughs> did we say almost five? Yes, we did. You said five, but it's actually a lot closer to seven years that this show has been airing for seven years. Lizzie Post, you have the correct math at 52 (laughs) weeks in a year. (laughs) Oh, it really has been a treat. And this treat could never have started without two very important people, Brendan uh, Noonan and Rico Galliano. And Dan, you want to tell them what's so great about today's show? Brandon and Rico have agreed to join us for the postscript today to do a little... Reminiscing and celebrating. It's like a dinner party download party on awesome etiquette. I can't I can't wait. We I'm I'm really, really excited. 
And because we know that that's the really exciting part of the show, what do you think? Should we wrap up this intro and get to some questions? Let's do it. Okay. And stick around for that postscript. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Our first question is a great one, and it's titled, Gifts When You're Now Not a Guest. Good afternoon. I am in a dilemma. I invited a college friend to my wedding, and she attended with her boyfriend at the time. They got us a nice gift. She is now getting married, and originally had planned her wedding for 2020. I was invited and received my save the date and everything. Unfortunately, due to COVID restrictions, the wedding celebration had to be moved to this year. I had texted her telling her how excited I was for the wedding to get here. She then bluntly tells me, sorry, but due to COVID, they had to cut the guest list down. Is it rude to not get her a gift since she uninvited me three weeks before the wedding? Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you for the unfortunate COVID wedding etiquette question. Yeah. This is something that we had heard about in terms of people reducing wedding sizes and pushing them back. But I don't think we'd heard specifically about this scenario where someone who was on a guest list that was reduced and is now no longer invited to the wedding is wondering about a gift. Mm -hmm. I'm going with kind of a technical answer here. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Which is that 
you're no longer invited to the wedding, so you're not responsible for a gift. Ding, 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 ding. I, I think that to me is the, the easy part of the answer. Mm-hmm. I have a, a question and I wish I could get it answered just immediately because I'm really curious about <laughs> how the information was shared that the wedding had been reduced and moved, that the date had been changed, that the guest list had been changed. How did they distribute that information in a way that left you with the impression that you were still invited or even knew when or where it was happening? Those are the things that I'm wondering. Yeah. And and my, without having anything else, my assumption is they didn't because here our anonymous actually reached out, say like still at least if I reached out saying how excited I was for a wedding, it's probably because I'm, I'm expecting I'm still invited. I haven't heard otherwise, you know what I mean? Um, and I think that this this couple has cl- clearly had some kind of fail, either in that when they made their outreach, if our anonymous somehow got like the letter didn't come in the mail that said this wedding was canceled and being rescheduled differently, either it, it didn't show up or they didn't issue it at all to begin with. Yeah. And that's a real shame because, boy, what an awkward position that puts you in. What do you think about the idea at the very start of this question, Dan? Anonymous lets us know that this friend gave them a really nice gift for Anonymous's wedding a couple years ago. Do you think that would make you any more inclined to try and give a gift even though you've you've kind of rudely found out you were uninvited to a wedding? Okay, 100% honest answer. Yeah, do it. The way I was treated in between would probably impact the way I felt about it. Yeah. So yeah. if what I'm remembering, if the the, the main... Uh, thing in my mind is that these people came to my wedding. They gave me something lovely. I really appreciated it. I get invited to their wedding. It gets reduced for very reasonable reasons. They explain that to me that they're sorry that they had invited people and they just can't do it with the way they're rescheduling or they're no longer going to be able to invite me with the way they're now doing it. If I felt well treated through that, the good feeling from that earlier experience would probably inspire me to think even though I'm not going to the wedding, it might be nice to send them a little something. Mm-hmm. And But if I'm not living with that good feeling realistically, um, giving that gift for me would have to come from a place of feeling good about giving it. And yeah. if I didn't have the expectation that it happened and I didn't feel good about it, I wouldn't feel pressured to do it. This is, I think, a really nice time to bring up the difference between like, Dan, Dan you and I both frequently use the phrase like two rudes don't make a polite, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't see as soon as you're in that position of having been uninvited from that wedding, you whether you find out appropriately or not. You really are uninvited from that wedding. That's not happening anymore. And that obligation of the gift, I think, is lifted. And I think that's why it creates that space that, that Dan's describing where it's like, you know, if this has been handed, handled really well, I, I wouldn't feel bad about this. I'd feel kind of great about getting you a gift. But it wasn't, and I don't, and the obligation is gone. So maybe I'm going to lean in the direction of not. And I don't want to say that to kind of think of anything in a punishing term. I don't think that's the way this is coming it's just a choice that you get to make. And frankly, our emotions are sometimes a part of those choices. And I, I just think there's there's room here for what Dan's uh, advocating for. Thank you for being explicit about it not being a punishment. Yeah, it's not. Because I also I, I would have added that myself it, <laughs> as I heard you talking, because it's it's so important. It's not uh, punitive. Mm-hmm. It's just about where where the impulse or inspiration is coming from, honestly. 
Anonymous, thank you so much for the question. We really appreciate a chance to look a little bit deeper at the question of wedding gift giving. Do you think you can be happy about rules now? Yeah! As long as we remember that rules are to make things better for everybody. Our next question is about table talk. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Hello from Canberra, Australia. I hope I got that right. Where we have been able to dine out within COVID limitations for some time now. My question is this. How do you introduce one person to a group of, say, six or seven people in an informal situation? For example, a friend comes over to your table to say hello when you are dining out with a group unknown to them. I realize the new person will not remember all the names, yet I guess it is still good manners to make the full introduction anyway? I always feel awkward doing this and wish I could simplify the process in a way that shows consideration and respect. Thanks so much for your podcast. It is always entertaining as well as informative. Best wishes, Barbara. Barbara, it's a it's a fabulous question. A similar scenario only as opposed to at a restaurant at a table when dining out is just you're bringing a, a new guest to a, a kind of more casual party at home. And, you know, you walk in and 20 people say Anita or Barbara in this case. And you're Classic. like, you don't, you, yeah. And you don't want to do the like, that's Dan and Lizzie and Pooja and Cindy and John and, you know, sins everybody and you go through them all. They're never going to remember it. And the, the, in that particular scenario, the key person is to make sure that the, the the guest that is unknown is immediately introduced to the host. So my solution for that was to say, hey, guys. And, and then you introduce, what was it? Hey, guys, this is Annie. Annie, I'll introduce you to everyone once you've met the host. This is Tobin, our host. You do it that way, so you lead them through the host. But at the restaurant, this is a different scenario. It's, I can see, like, so, like, six, seven people at a table Someone sees you, Dan, because they know you, but they don't know anyone else at the table, but they come over to say hi. I think if the the group has some kind of connection, I might say, oh, this this is my family or, you know, this is my uh, in-laws or something like that. My team from wherever. My team. Exactly. Or, hey, yeah, no, I'm, I'm out with a nice group of friends tonight. We're celebrating Kelsey's birthday. Something like that, I think, could mm-hmm. be a really great way to acknowledge the group, kind of acknowledge you're not going to do individual introductions, because this person also probably isn't going to, like, hobnob for too long standing at the side of a table of seven people. I also don't mind the, you know, around five or less people. Yeah, do the introductions. This is, you know... Kelsey and Stephanie and I don't know, like whoever, like, you know, and then go through the introductions if it's a smaller group. Lizzie Post, you're getting to the question that I was going to interrogate you with, which <gasps> is what number do you think is the number where you switch <laughs> from one on one? Because for me, six, seven is like it's right there. It's, it's right the there. question of, OK, we're just starting to get to the point where there's enough people. It might start to feel a little silly by the yeah. time I get four five and six. But it might not. You might be able to get through it pretty right? quickly. <laughs> is five, two, six, seven? What is that cutoff? It's tough. It is. It is. And I, I think, I think five is is pretty good. Like, and then six, seven, you start to be an oak. I think really good, good standing to start moving it to a group description. Seven feels like a stretch to me. Anything over six, I would say is is move it to the group. Maybe 
So I'm adjusting my answer as I go. <laughs> I, I'm adjusting it lower also. I started to think to myself, I think maybe five is when you went from seven to six, I started to say, maybe I'm going to go from six down to five. The, He's always trying to one up me, you guys. He's always trying to one up me. <laughs> never because impossible. <laughs> I was interested also in the nature of a group introduction when you're not going to introduce everybody. And you covered all the things that I was thinking, if there's a host or a particular person, if there's a connection between the group or something that explains what brings you together. Mm -hmm. I think that's a nice thing to offer. I, I love your example of, oh, this is a group of friends of mine. We're getting together for Kelsey's birthday. That's a lot of information for that newcomer to have in terms of how they relate to that group. Mm -hmm. I was also thinking about um, if there are a couple of people in the mix who might have a particular connection if they have a friend in common or if you know them both from a similar place i, I was just trying to think if there if there are connections between the newcomer and individuals in the group there might be reasons natural reasons as you're making that introduction to point out a person or two yeah. and i don't think that's necessarily singling them out or excluding the other people if there are so many that you're not doing those individual one-on-one -on -one introductions. Absolutely. I, I could picture something like where the person who's come over actually might be connected to one of the people in the group through another mutual friend or something. Mm -hmm. And you might single something like that out or, or some, you know, I could, I could see a number of different things where that would happen. Barbara, this is a fantastic question. I am loving all of the, the questions about, you know, quote unquote, normal life again, the idea that you would be out at a restaurant and be able to see, you know, people coming over and you might say, oh, I want to go say hi to that person, but I don't want to like interrupt their group. And they're thinking, I want to say hi to that person, but I don't want to like go through a 20 name exchange. It's delightful to, to be in these circumstances again. And the biggest etiquette point that we could possibly make is make the introduction. The biggest mistake people make is they to say fail nothing. to engage socially <laughs> or they say nothing because they're concerned that they won't say the right thing. <laughs> like crickets, there's just six people around me and I'm going to ignore that fact right now. Like <laughs> Barbara, thank you again for the question. You're standing on the outside looking in. You might have something to contribute to their conversation. But nobody cares whether you do or not. There's a barrier, and you don't know how to begin breaking it down. Our next question is titled, Lousy Language. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I really enjoy listening to your podcast, especially as we are all relearning how to operate in a post-pandemic world. I have a question that relates to a difficult situation that sometimes occurs during extended family gatherings. I have heard older extended family members use dated and offensive language to describe racial minorities that make me and some of the younger members of my family feel uncomfortable. These situations tend to arise in a larger group gathering rather than in one-on-one -on -one conversations, and I don't have a close relationship with the person using the offensive language, so it's difficult for me to address it privately. I am one of the only biracial people on this side of the family, and although I have not heard family members use insensitive language against my racial group, I still feel an obligation to speak up when I hear them use insensitive language. 
This is an especially difficult situation to handle because in the area I've grown up, it's frowned upon for a younger person to confront or correct an older person. I am college aged while the family members are in their 70s and 80s. Even if it's generally agreed upon that the younger person is right. What would be a good way to handle this the next time this type of situation arises in a way that is respectful while still making it clear that I consider their word choices to be offensive? Are there any sample scripts I can use the next time I'm at an extended family gathering and I hear a great aunt or uncle use insensitive language? Sincerely anonymous. Anonymous, thank you so much for this question. I think a lot of people can relate to a problem like this, and I certainly know that I can. It's hard to know exactly what to do, and it is a very personal choice Mm -hmm. how far you want to go confronting language like that or attitudes like that. I applaud your understanding of the broad situation and the social context. Mm -hmm. I think it's really easy to lose sight of the intersectionality around these problems because they raise such strong emotions in people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just the fact that you're remembering the context of age and the way elders are respected in the particular community that you're operating in shows that you're really retaining a a self-awareness and an awareness of the way the the social structure is operating that I just want to applaud and say it gives me some confidence that if you were to decide this was something you wanted to address in the moment before we get to the sample scripts and what that confrontation, I don't even want to call it necessarily a confrontation because well executed, hopefully it wouldn't necessarily feel like that. I was thinking a lot about how I would personally handle this and how I have personally handled things like this. And my instinct is to work through the family network. If for some reason I identified that me being the messenger wasn't going to be effective in getting the kinds of results that I'm really hoping for, this person not using that language around me in this way in the future, firstly, and secondly, maybe not using that language at all. I think that getting that message to them from somebody they can hear it from is probably the most effective way to go about it. And it sounds like there's some consensus in the family or you sense some consensus about there being an agreement with your perspective. And I would look for the people in the family that I'm the closest to Mm -hmm. and particularly people in the generations that start to approach the generations that are using this language And I would talk to them exactly the way you talk to us when you posed this question to us. Mm -hmm. And I would ask them how they feel about it, if there's anything that they think they could do, or if there's some specific thing they could do to help you, I would be ready to make that ask. But I would present it exactly like you've presented it to us, because what you have described is so reasonable and your perspective and approach is so reasonable If someone in my family approached me like that, I would want to help them. I would have a strong interest in playing a role and doing what I could to help resolve that. In facilitating it. Yeah. Dan, I honestly was sitting here trying to think up uh, sample language options. And the more I I typed things out for this answer, the less it felt exactly right. And it's because of that distance that Anonymous described between them and the person who's, who's doing this. 
uh, most often at least. And I really love your leaning on the family network and finding some other right people to talk to. And I was with you when I read Anonymous's question to us. I thought, wow, this is so articulate and it is balancing very respectfully the different perspectives that that are at play here and within the community um, and within the family itself. And I just completely agree. I, I, I read that and was like, I, I really think someone could hear this right, just as it is. And that that would be a good way to get that help in somehow. It's not so much my nature. But if I was feeling like addressing the situation in the moment, or feeling mm -hmm. like it was important that I did, or that the family wasn't supporting me in the ways that I would like, in mm -hmm. terms of delivering that message, I would keep it relatively short mm -hmm. and I would acknowledge that it might not sound offensive to everyone, but to you, it's it offensive language and you'd rather not participate in discussions with it or hear it and that you would be willing to remove yourself from the situation if it continued, because that's the, yeah. the, the, the control that you ultimately have. Yep. Is, is control over yourself and your response to what they're doing. You can make the request. And I think the request is more likely to be honored if it comes with an acknowledgement that they might not understand how offensive it is for you or mm -hmm. is for some people. But I would also be prepared for that not to necessarily work and to take whatever actions are in my control that will make me feel good about my participation. From the sound of how Anonymous has written to us, I also feel like you'll be able to deliver that very message without it sounding like a threat, but instead just simply sounding like the realistic options at hand for you to be able to best interact with your family at these events. I think there is something to that calmness and reality when you're presenting a situation and your perspective on a situation to someone that especially someone who might be a little caught off guard or might not be just as understanding or sympathetic to what you're bringing up. It can just feel really good to be able to deliver that in a way that feels strong and solid and without it being a threat, you know, Lizzie Post, I think that's a really good piece of advice on the how to execute that. That emotional level setting is so important when you start to venture into tier two conversations, yeah. conversations about things that are potentially controversial and that people have very different opinions about. Anonymous, thank you so much for this very well-written question. And we certainly hope that family gatherings can be a more pleasant experience in the future. Our next question is about a name change notice. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have a question today regarding announcing a name change, specifically about notifying coworkers. I have been divorced for about three years, but chose not to change my last name at the time due to both personal reasons. I didn't feel ready to change a last name that felt very much like a part of me still and professional ones. I'm a teacher in both the public school setting as well as the university level. It just felt too overwhelming, and I felt like I'd built up a bit of a professional reputation with my married name. However, now that some time has passed, 
I feel ready to go from Ms. Married last name to Ms. Maiden name. My question is, how do I go about announcing this change, if at all, to my colleagues? Because I work in school settings, my email addresses are all in the first initial last name format, so it seems necessary to let my coworkers know about the change so that they are aware of the new address to use. Beginning next school year, I would also like for the people I work with and my students to use my maiden name, but again, I'm not sure how to go about relaying this information or how much detail needs to be given. While it was very easy to share the news of a name change due to a marriage, I feel that I might make other people uncomfortable. If I tell them that the reason is a divorce or vaguely say that I'm going back to my maiden name, which implies the same idea. I also didn't begin my career until after getting married, so everyone has always known me as Ms. Married Last Name, so I've never had to start using a different name in a work setting. I really don't want people to feel the need to empathize and tell me they're sorry for the divorce. While the divorce was difficult, it was several years ago now, and I don't feel the need to talk about it at work. In addition, I keep my work life and personal quite separate, and many of my colleagues likely aren't aware the divorce even took place. Should I announce the name change but give no information as to why? Share that my new last name is my maiden name? Or is there a good option I've not thought of? I feel lost, and I'm at the point that I've overthought it so much that I'm not sure what to think anymore. Any advice would be much appreciated. Thank you again, Ms. Maiden Name. Ms. Maiden Name, thank you so much for the question. It's an important one. The name that we want people to use is something that really should be respected. And I understand at the same time the question mark of, so how do I let people know, especially if I'm someone who doesn't want too much of my private life exposed to my coworkers? My first thought, Dan, is to deal with it with the administration first because you need that email if they're set up as, you know, uh, initial and then last name. You need that to change. And I actually think because that the email, especially with how much emailing I know goes on today, I think that can really be a really strong place for the name change to be reinforced on a regular basis. If it were me, I would personally choose to send an email out to folks with my new email address, letting them know just the, the same way you would if you switched jobs and had a new email address or something and you were, you were sending it to other people. It's a good practice. You can keep the language in the email as clear and concise as possible. I will be using my maiden name. I am going back to my maiden name. I am using this name might be a way to avoid the idea of it being maiden or not. I would expect, though, that some people may jump that kind of etiquette gap and ask you, oh, why the change? And I think you have to decide how much you're willing to say, I just decided that after my divorce, I didn't need this name anymore, or whether you say, it's just a decision I, I decided I was ready to make for myself is up to you. But but th that's kind of like, I would first address the school administration, and then I would send an email out. What do you think, cuz? Did I, did I do okay? You did great. <laughs> and the points that I would emphasize are that you announce the change of email address from your old email address. Yeah, that helps. So some people will import contacts and send from the new email, but for whatever reason, people might not recognize that as you. Mm -hmm. People have different kinds of whitelists and blacklists on their emails and different filters. So the, the, the recommendation is that you send an announcement of the change of contact to everyone from your old email before you make the change. Mm -hmm. 
and then you retain that old email for a little while. And this is probably all part of that process that Lizzie's talking about where you're changing an email within an organization. But you want to monitor that old email for a little while in case there are people that you miss. Yeah. So for a little while, there's this process of tracking and then following up with change of contact information emails to people that continue to email the old address. And as you suggested, Lizzie Post, I love the using the the change of contact as the way to get the word out and a, th cast your net the broadest and touch the most people. It is entirely possible that there are going to be people who you see daily yep, who you don't communicate with primarily via email. And for them, there might be a brief conversation about the name change. And I think you can keep your explanations as short as Lizzie described. This is a decision I felt ready to make or that I've made that I feel good about doesn't connect it to any event mm -hmm. in your mm -hmm. life. For many, many people, a divorce that you don't place a lot of emphasis on won't raise any um, flags in their mind. Mm -hmm. If it's uh, a couple of years after my divorce, I decided I was ready to go back to my family name or my original family name. Again, if you don't like the idea of maiden name or calling it a maiden yeah. name is something that most people are going to here, register as a name change and then just call you that new name, which is really nice. And being ready to do that in person with the people that might actually call you that in person, I think is definitely worth having a sample script ready for or thinking about how you would explain it. I have two other thoughts on this particular topic, too. One is that be prepared to decide whether you're going to make corrections if people use the the name they've previously known you by or whether you're going to let it slide and i i, I want to encourage you to feel comfortable making the corrections like that i think a lot of people feel like oh i should just not let it slide is the only way people are going to learn especially as dan said for the folks that you don't communicate via email and aren't seeing that email address that helps to reinforce it but the other thought that I had is I was always really interested when when teachers got married and names got changed and things like that. And I, I think you might have some very endearing moments, whether you see them or not, but from students who actually remind other people on your behalf, most likely when you're not present. But I feel like kids are really good at absorbing stuff like this, um, especially the kids that you'll get next school year where you just introduce yourself as as your family name, your maiden name. And they go straight from the get go. But I feel like, I don't know, I can remember hearing kids do stuff like that in classrooms from from my childhood. Lizzie Bose, that is such a good point. Kids are so perceptive and they will pick up on on subtle things that adults don't always pick up on. And the idea that they might end up being your allies is one that I really like. Ms. Maiden name, we can't leave this question without acknowledging the way that you concluded. And I just so appreciated because I get in the same place, the acknowledgement that I've just thought about this and thought about this so many times that I don't even know where I'm at anymore. The overthinking. Yeah. <laughs> I am an overthinker. So I, I could really appreciate that feeling. And I really hope that hearing Lizzie and I talk about this question a little bit helps calm the waters and that this change goes smoothly for you. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are awesome etiquette. 
Just remember, use the hashtag AwesomeEtiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we hear from Samuel about accepting compliments. Dear Dan and Lizzie, I really enjoyed episode 347. I am a budding writer and it's comforting to me to hear about you two working through anxieties with the editing process. (laughs) In regards to the segment about accepting compliments, I would like to offer some anecdotes about what I have experienced in this realm. I have been in numerous business and social situations where I have received compliments that I have had a hard time appreciating for various reasons. My tendency is to offer a one-two punch of sorts. To the one offering the compliment, one, I respond to the intent of the compliment and not the compliment itself. And two, I quickly change the subject. Some sample language could sound like this. That's very nice of you to say. Wasn't it a beautiful day today? Or... How very kind of you. Isn't it remarkable what they have done with this venue? I like it, Samuel. I like it. Those are good sample scripts, too. They are such good sample scripts. Sometimes saying the thing that you mean or intend to say really works well. You just say it. It works great. It works great. But I And I love the transition to something else so that you don't feel like you're spending too much time on that compliment. You know what I mean? It's like, like not like you're absorbing it for real long. And there are times when we all get cheeky and bask in a good compliment. But but I, I'm, I'm a fan of this quick switch off to another subject. Samuel, thank you so much for sending in your feedback. Please keep it coming. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next piece of feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we have a really special treat. After years of hosting us on their podcast, The Dinner Party Download, and inviting us to talk etiquette dilemmas with them, we are finally reciprocating the invitation to Brendan Francis Newnham and Rico Galliano. Guys, welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having us. Finally. Um, You know, I thought that it was that was it was polite to invite people back once once you once they've entertained you but it's been what now years six years so uh, far be it for me to sully the post family name but um i, I don't really? know i'm happy that we're finally having this happen paper bag hats of shame right now <laughs> like, we yeah. need that no, no shame necessary rico i think you're you're muted below. oh yeah you are <laughs> Classic Zoom right off the bat. Yeah, right off the bat. Uh, I know. We can talk about Zoom. I kind of like it. I wish we had Zoom when we were recording together. We could well, mute. We could have muted each other. <laughs> Except we would have just done that and like never spoken. That would have been our exactly. preferred, I think, at a certain point. Thank you for not rubbing our noses in it too much. When it's too late to finally reciprocate. <laughs> never. Fair. Fair. We would be remiss if we didn't ask how has things been? How have things been going? Um, what's been going on? You want to start, Brendan? Yeah, I can try it. Like, 
Things are going well. I mean, if there's some sign of how things are at the moment, we, we haven't really worked on anything directly together in a, in a while because we've just been busy leading our lives. We've been asked to put together an article about how to blow off the rust in your dinner party muscles and, and how to like, you know, how do we approach dinner parties now in this post-COVID world? So that's the most immediate thing at hand. So it's been nice to hang out with Rico again. So in some ways, this feels seamless. Pretty great. Yeah, things have I, been well, but go ahead, Rico. Well, I mean, I had a kid. That was interesting. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> you still have the kid, right? Thanks. You still have the kid, right? I, I think so. I think yeah. he's around here somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, we're recording this on a day where his mom took him to the beach. So that's lucky for you, because otherwise this would just be a series of ranting screams coming from behind me. He's actually really adorable, but I can tell you I would have really liked to have had access to you guys, you know, monthly to ask you about what's the etiquette around, say, having a screaming child around other families, you know, like, should you feel embarrassed when your child like pulls another child's hair right in front of their father? Uh, Should you be worried if the child's, you know, throws something at another child? I don't know. I mean, the same questions he asked about me when we worked together. I'll tell you, one of my favorite moments was when over the over the past few years, like I think twice Brendan's reached out to me with an actual etiquette question. And I was like over the moon thrilled, like would call Dan immediately after. He was like, Dan, Dan, like they reached out, like Brendan reached out, like this is so- I mean, it's amazing though, but it is the it's the equivalent of uh, like having the Harvey Keitel character in Pulp Fiction. You know, you're in a situation... You're, you know, I, I think last time I was in New Orleans, like you're just in a moment and you're like, you know what? I literally know the person who knows the answer to this. I got to ask you guys, um, are, are you are you missing the DPD days? Are you feeling like it's great to kind of have it in its capsule and, and living where it lives now and, and moving on and doing other things? I'll say that I, I kind of miss it. The thing that I miss about it is that the, a show like that is very rare. There just aren't that many shows like that around anymore. And it was like very, I think, rare to have an opportunity to do a a kind of variety show like that where we could talk about 10,000 different things. I think the trend is more towards niche things, not niche, I guess more towards compartmentalized things. You have a movie podcast, you have a food podcast, you have a different kind of, it was cool to basically, because we're omnivores, we've always been into everything. That was like our brand was eclecticism. And I don't know that there's that many shows where they can even have that brand anymore. It's It would be too hard to get an audience for it. So I feel lucky that we did it. And in that sense, I really miss it. I don't know. What, what do you think? No, I agree. I mean, a magazine format is hard for a lot of reasons. And, and it's hard, you know, it's hard to, you can get one travel advertiser for a travel show. You can get one food advertiser for a food show. We were, we were everything, but I'd like to think we were like an index fund. If you just let it over time, it compounds and you will really love it. And it was probably the way to go. But unfortunately, you know, in this, in our modern American, American capitalism, that's not, that's not the mode we operate under. But uh, no, I mean, I'm proud of it in retrospect. And I feel lucky that it happened. It was just such a confluence of things like Rico and I, like working at the same place at the same time, podcast being ascendant, us not having any social life so we could stay late and work on things. And, um, <laughs> and then being in LA before LA was LA in a sense that we could really just scramble around and kind of interview great guests. Like we were one, some of the only people running around with microphones at that point, And that was exciting. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy, but it was, it took a lot. The metabolism, as you guys yeah. know, I mean, this is your 350th show. 
but it, it's a lot of doing that sort of rhythm. It really, I think it's like when you go on a vacation once a year, when you really shut off your phone, which I've never really done. This is all theoretical. Like <laughs> you can really refresh in a way that you want, like you get it. You're like, oh, right. My brain, I feel like different. And when I return to work, I'm feeling strong. I feel like it's taken, it took me like a, a year at least after DPD to really just start to come down off that kind of, you know, 41 episodes a year for over a decade. That was a lot. Yeah. I remember feeling the same way for a year. It was like, I was kind of doing freelance stuff. And I remember there were times when it was like, I should probably be beating the trees for my next gig. And instead my wife would go off to work and I would just like sit at home and like watch videos. It was like, I needed a full year of just vegging out on YouTube (laughs) to just get over it. Lucky for her, she had a job and could support me through that. <laughs> I don't know if she knows that that's what was happening. Well, was now she does. Telling her. She's a Patreon member of uh, <laughs> Awesome Etiquette, she does. <laughs> Gotta make sure she never listens to this episode. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I've got to tell you, I had an incredible experience a couple weeks ago. I got drawn down a, a Google sort of trap and it, it led me right into the dinner party download archive and i just had so much fun hanging out in the archive of your show and um i was trying to find early episodes of lizzie and i so one of the things i could read show descriptions back a certain distance and then we got to a point where it was a non-standard format for even the show descriptions so yeah. to find it i'd have to listen right and so I, the time it took me to read a description was about the time it took to listen to the opening joke so i listened to just like joke after joke after joke after joke after joke and in the early shows i really got to get into some of your early guests and that experience that you're describing of running around the city and just getting that microphone in front of people you got some incredible guests on that show i just can't even imagine it must have been so much fun it was fun it was a lot of work currently i work at pushkin industries which is like a podcast and audio publishing company and so there's about like 25 producers and like I just find, and I find this in life in a certain extent. This is how, this is actually a good etiquette question. Angel Olsen, Lizzo, Al Pacino, Steve Martin, Spike Lee. Like these are all people we've talked to, we've interviewed before, we prep for the conversation. So that times, you know, 600 times three, like we've just talked to a lot of people and you get to a point where you feel you're not bragging. You're just helping. You're, they're booking guests and you say like, oh, you know what, actually, like you understand the mechanics of booking, you know, who publicists, you know, who will go places, who won't. And I sometimes feel embarrassed that I have too much accrued knowledge <laughs> about <laughs> interviewing celebrities. And you You're don't want to be the know-it-all. On the one hand, you have a leadership position. So you, your reason you have your job is because you've had this experience. Yeah. But it does become, you know, you become, it becomes a little awkward. Like Lizzo, for example, who's like the greatest, biggest like you know celebrity on the planet for good reason you know early days played three songs at a live show we did in minnesota you know before she recorded you know all of her hit songs and we just knew that she was going to take over the world right and that's a weird feeling so all those memories of all those interviews i'm so proud of them i'm trying to meet out my knowledge of it carefully so as not to appear like a total blowhard old man glory days dude 
<laughs> yeah, it's like when Lizzo was blowing up, I felt though that was one of those things where it was like, oh, I wish we still had the show because we wouldn't even have to get the now very difficult to book Lizzo on the show. We could be like, hey, Lizzo just like got nominated for a Grammy Award. Here's the interview or here's her playing a song before you knew who the hell she was. <laughs> so that's we would the get compound all... interest right there. See, that's the exactly. index fund interest. Okay, <laughs> so exactly here's correct. the difference between you two and us two at New York and LA and Vermont. You were with Lizzo before she blew up. I discovered her about a week and a half ago. And I, I don't know garage. him. I don't know him. I've been dancing in the garage with my two little girls to that song that starts with the marching band. It is awesome. It's so yeah. good. Really glad you're both here. How did you kind of fare throughout it? You're both on, on separate coasts and such, different cities, different states, different mandates, different experiences, yeah? Yeah. Um, well, I've been joking that I became normal over the pandemic. Um, you can you know, you can see my hair is short right now and my I don't have a shaggy beard. And also uh, bought a car, gained eight pounds at one point, um, started watching TV casually, which I never did, started eating like garbage, started like being grouchy. Uh, bought normal jeans, like all these things, which I just didn't really like do. I started to do, but my partner moved in. I took a steady job and I, I felt like um, I just became normal. I was normalized, which was exotic for me and uh, was interesting. And, and there was kind of a frisson of excitement by uh, pretending to be normal. And so we're just coming out of that. So I'm really interested in seeing how this works out now, now that if the world returns to its previous pace, um, whether I return to my previous frenzied state or uh, I just kind of ride this out. So uh, that, that, that was one of the headlines. But in the very real terms, I, I stayed in New York for most of it. And um, I fell deeper in love with New York. Um, it was a pretty tough time, but the people who did stick it, I mean, the rich fled immediately, as you know, in Vermont. And other, like they all went up, they just, every, they just disappeared. Every house under $600,000 disappeared. They were bought. People were in the Hamptons, but the city just kind of, got down to its essentials. But then I did fall in love with something over COVID, which I need to talk to you guys about, which is Vermont, which I'd oh. never been to. I'd never been to Vermont, but I couldn't travel to Europe. I couldn't get to the West Coast where I normally spend a little bit of time and I got a car. And so I was like, let's see what's going on. And I went to Cape Cod where I used to go as a child. And then I dipped into Vermont to visit a friend in Cornwall, which is near oh. Middlebury. It's one of my favorite and, places. It's so And I beautiful. was like, holy Christmas. This is like the south of France over here. There's like... Yes. No, that's like literally one of the towns I like, want to move to possibly. Yeah, like, natural yeah. one. I mean, it was just so juxtaposition of... Uh, I'm just going to own who I am. Of like rural <laughs> with like good politics, like the Bernie Sanders signs, et cetera. But, um, but like natural foods and nat like, like, you know, 20% hippie. Uh, that kind of vibe, but also just like great hiking. And then I was always concerned about Vermont that there wouldn't be water because there's no coast. But oh my God, there's so many like swimming holes. Swimming hole culture blew my mind. So anyway, New England has been uh, weirdly is like really been, it's been a boon to my imagination and my life has been over COVID. So, so do you know where are you guys in Vermont? What, what town are you in? So I'm in Burlington, Dan's in uh, the Waterbury area, but what you were describing that you did, like going up there, driving around all the healthy food, all the beautiful scenes, all the rivers and swimming holes, like my friends and I call that Vermonting. 
It's like where you just, you go out and you just go into Vermont and you will be taken care of with a fabulous day, no matter what you do. And it's like, yeah. it, it Creamy really, is so much like, fun. Uh, I'm sitting here trying to think of what Los Angeles thing would be. <laughs> it would not be like, like Vermont is it, don't people go to some canyon there to go hiking? Griffith Park, Beachwood Canyon. Yeah, it's a, a little bit of a different experience. Yeah, it's a little bit of a different experience though, because first you'd have to fight traffic and hate everybody to get to the place oh, where you'd go go to that. nature, and then yeah, you'd get the there and there'd be a thousand people there. Enjoyable. <laughs> yes. No, it really. Also, is. I have a feeling. I'm not sure about this. Maybe it got overrun during the pandemic, but out here, basically there was nothing to do except go to parks or go hiking. Yeah. So suddenly those places were just crazy. It was like going to a rock concert. <laughs> you went on yeah. like the hike up to the Griffith Observatory was like a slam dance. It was nuts. So <laughs> we were just walking my neighborhood a lot with my child in a little car, by the way. He has he has this little <laughs> tiny car and like seeing a tiny baby in a tiny car just like so definitely cute. makes things feel better in the middle <laughs> and uh, <laughs> waving at people. Um, what are you guys each working on now as you're coming out of the pandemic? I know you mentioned the article, which thank you very much for reaching out to us for an interview for. We, we always appreciate it. Um, yes. But what, what kind of projects are you working on? What have you got going on? Uh, Rico, go ahead. All right. I'm doing, and man, am I busy on it. Uh, launching on June 3rd is the first podcast for a streaming movie service that I'm doing. It's called Mubi, M-U-B-I is the name of the uh, streaming service. And they stream like cinephile movies. Think Criterion Collection, except even cooler. And it's all very hand-picked. It's like they, they have a team of curators who like pick these great movies from all eras and from around the world. And I'm doing a podcast for them, the first season of which is based on, a, a, I think, a very cool idea, which is that every country has its own kind of Star Wars and its own kind of Godfathers, these movies that were gigantic hits that had huge impacts on their culture. And we don't know anything about them. And actually, if you learn about these giant hits in these other cultures, you learn a lot about those cultures. So every episode, we're taking on a movie that was gigantic in some country that you may or may not have heard of and sort of talk about the how it came to be, how it was made, and the impact that it had on that country. It's that been is- totally fascinating. Oh, my gosh. It I is- can't wait to listen to that. <laughs> It is very cool. I got to talk to Paul Verhoeven, which Brendan may recall. We talked to him early in Dinner yeah. Party Download times. Yeah. He, he is insane. Um, and you know that I love the Dutch. So I got to talk to him and a lot of other Dutch people and just had a great time and learned a lot about Dutch culture. Indian culture, we're doing one from Africa, this like direct-to-VHS movie that basically created the current Nigerian film industry. It's like... It's more mind-blowing than I thought it would be. So it's really great. But I'm also doing everything. Like the other thing that I miss about DPD is that we had a big staff <laughs> and a budget. <laughs> and I have none of those things. So uh, I hope it doesn't sound like this, like me and a couple of guys putting it together. No, I look forward uh, to hearing it. Also, people, you guys know that Rico went to AFI as well as he's always been a, you've been a big cinephile. And I feel like I can't think of a better person to kind of build these docs in a way. So yeah, thanks, I look forward to hearing it. And I really want to hear what you've been doing other than actually Brendan and I are working, uh, hopefully going to be working on something in the future, but we'll let that stay. We haven't, we haven't signed the contract. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> no, um, 
So that normal job I took over COVID is with Pushkin Industries, which is Malcolm Gladwell's and Jacob Weisberg's podcast company. Jacob Weisberg was the former CEO of Slate, and they're an audio publishing company. And so they have about 16 podcasts, Revisionist History, Jill Lepore's The Last Archive, Michael Lewis is Against the Rules. They're going to do Ibram Kendi's Be Anti-Racist. Like they have a lot of great kind of nonfiction, engaging, I think the frame, intelligent pleasure. You know, it's like... Little, it's smart, it's journalism, but there's a little um, verve and whimsy. And they also produce audiobooks or audio originals. And essentially, these are like audio documentaries. They're not books turned into audio. They're just built on their own. They're just sold as opposed to just distributed for free in podcasts. Like we're in this Patreon world. Like as we all recognize, advertising alone is kind of a real hard way to do things. And so they're experimenting with that form. And three things this year, we did a bio of Fauci um, with uh, Michael Spector, who's a New Yorker writer. And we made this three and a half hour kind of doc on Fauci. It started from this New Yorker article. You know, the, the reporter had done a lot of work on Larry Kramer and ACT UP and the AIDS crisis, um, which Fauci was, that's where he cut his teeth as a public health advocate. Yeah. And so we kind of do this longer profile. And then we released the Bomber Mafia, which just came out a couple of weeks ago. And it um, was Malcolm Gladwell original. And it's about this kind of the, the philosophy of precision bombing versus blanket bombing in World War II. And then also a Paul Simon documentary that I've been working on for a year. It's like this five, we've sat down and have 40 hours of conversations with Paul Simon. And we're turning into like a five part documentary about Paul Simon. And it's kind of a creative biography. Um, and if you're hanging out with him and he's playing new records and he's strumming his guitar and then we'll kind of cast our mind back and um, you know, unpack moments in his career and, and that sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. So that's been like my, my line of work, but I did, did bury the lead in that before COVID, I was working on this show that I've been working on for years, which is, it is a travel show. And this is more purely my thing where I just romp around the world and I see if you guys can, if this makes sense to you. So it's, a, it's someone like I am the character in this named Brendan Francis Newham. He had a fairly successful podcast radio show that ends, uh, his relationship ends, um, and he wants to make a travel show. So he makes this show where he starts to go places like Montreal, Mexico City, Bozeman, Montana, and you travel with this guy as he's making a travel show. So you're in the travel show, but you're really seeing him be, make mistakes, try to figure out life, et cetera. So that show is called Not Lost. Nice. So I don't know. It's interesting that that... We've, it, we kind of ended up going in similar directions. We're still talking about art and we're still talking about like the whole universe of culture that's out mm -hmm. there. So, yeah. Still true to our roots, man. We wouldn't have this show without you guys. And I even remember telling yeah. Brendan that I feel like higher etiquette was born out of knowing you guys and like then getting the show on our own and things like that. And so, for us, I feel like we're we're just so incredibly grateful for the experience that we had doing that one little segment with you guys. We learned so much as hosts from being guests of yours. And I think that's just a great, great lesson when we're on an etiquette podcast, talking about the idea that observing people who do things really well and emulating them is worth it. Like, I feel like we we took that one segment that we did with you 
and we were able to blow it up to a whole show. And that you guys really gave us four or five years of training us how to how to do that. And uh, I mean, well, yeah. well, I'll let you say. talk too. I feel like Dan. I have. I've just been going and going and going. But no, is that so? I feel like then we're probably do like some sort of royalty, right? As like, soon as uh, the show starts making money. <laughs> <laughs> Is that important to start talking about? <laughs> well, not to get too kumbaya here, but um, you are in Vermont. And uh, I remember distinctly, and I don't remember a lot of things, but we got every book in the world sent to us, which is one of the reasons we took that job was like, let's get free stuff. If we're not, gonna, you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, we're not going to be independently wealthy on our own, but we can get all the culture given to us for free. Anyway, we had a bunch of books. Your latest edition, which I don't know, I used to announce it every week. What was your last edition? Have you made an edition since that time? We've been working on the 20th this year. I'm really proud of it. (laughs) No, I can't wait to see it. But I remember, so I'm thinking it was the 18th or 19th 19th. edition. Basically, we got this beautiful book um, that was the same shape as one of my favorite or one of my fundamental cookbooks was Mark Bittman's How to Cook Everything. It was like around the same size, that kind of doorstoppy, but comprehensive (laughs) and telegraphed authority. And I remember thinking, there was a guide to this and it was going to be updated because things change. And it really did kind of plant a seed in our mind, which kind of emerged in our book, which is how to host a dinner party where we take on this kind of amplified faux authority about something like the dinner party. But we drew that a lot of it drew came from your guys, actual example. So yeah. we all helped each other, man. That's what I'm trying to yeah. say. Yeah. I do actually remember that coming up in meetings with publishers and things like that. So thanks. Thanks for creating the template. <laughs> Cuz get your voice in here a bit. Lizzie, what else is on our script? I'm so absorbed. I, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. I left it. I let it disappear off my screen so I could keep eye contact. <laughs> <laughs> The only other thing I would say is, has etiquette found you in your lives lately? Like, have you noticed things since all the stuff that we've talked about? I mean, I'm just curious, do you, do you think about it anymore since you ran a show where for years and years and years, you, you talk to people about etiquette? You're like I, some of the few I, people I, we know who also do that. <laughs> like, I think about it a lot. I mean, I, I feel like the, one of the legacies of the DPD, which I never thought about, I still feel like there's sometimes like, if it comes up, people are like, want to make me a cocktailer. Like, it's always like, they think I like, you're right, Rico. Like they think you're James Bond or something. Like there's kind of like, oh, I know what you'll like. You know, I got this Singapore sling and you're like, oh dude, like I am old and it is Wednesday and I drink cocktails maybe once a month. Like, I mean, I'll drink wine a lot, but like, like that part of the identity, I feel like really captured people's imagination. No one asked me for, maybe it's just me, but no one looks at me as an authority on etiquette really. So I don't have it in like a very, concrete way where people are like well we should check in on brendan about the proper way like there'll be there'll be jokes but i do find you know two things one it brings to mind one is uh i have my own questions and we maybe rico presented some to you while we were working on this article of like re-socializing now i i found myself in moments of for lack of a better word or misusing a phrase brain fog where i find myself losing the thread a little bit faster than I normally would and as a former host I feel responsible when the when that when there's a conversation that goes lopsided and trying there's not really an etiquette question but it's like how does one recover from that how do you do you own that moment with people saying I'm you know what I'm so sorry like I'm just getting back in the swing or do you just pretend to listen for is sometimes is it more polite to pretend you caught it like you know so I don't know sometimes it's more polite to not to say you know apologize like I didn't hear what you were saying it's better like roll with it those sorts of uh, micro kind of 
uh, socializing moments I'm having a little trouble with. And I <laughs> like got to get on that. Um, and then the other part is just getting older where I feel like, you know, when you're, and we, we ran our own show and we had people who, you know, worked with us beneath us or you know, not, there's a hierarchical sense, but we were leaders, right. but it is, there is a real like magnanimity that you have to embrace when you're educating and you're helping other people get to a destination. And then that learning how to not do it yourself or not be, you know, glib and not be bruised, like just kind of help other people. That is a new level of etiquette that I feel like just comes with being older and like being in a different station in life. And I'm sure Dan is a parent, like, yeah, Enrico, you know, like he's too small, but you know what I mean? Like there comes a moment where you just have to like, I don't know, let people make mistakes in front of you, like not come in with the right answer and be graceful about it. I don't know. Those are my two kind of buckets of etiquette-ish stuff these days. I can relate to that as Dan and I have changed even our roles at Emily Post since since we were last working with you guys monthly. You know, we've shifted to to really take on and run the business now, which has been really different for us. And and we talk about exactly what you just mentioned, like how how do we work with the people around us well so that you can, you know, encourage them to get done what needs to be done and tweak it in ways that keep that encouragement alive if it's not happening right, you know? I like how you described it, like a different position and a sort of role within your life. And it, it does just come with age and experience over time. Like there's, there's, yeah. there's it. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that that's true because I think I'm about to enter a phase where I'm going to be like having to dictate a lot of behavioral rules yeah. to a child. <laughs> He's too little right now to understand anything. So, and it's great. I just noticed this the other day is that like kids can do things that obviously we can't get away with. And everybody goes like, <laughs> adorable. And it's, and I'm right now it's kind of actually easy in that sense, but there's going to come a point when it's not okay that my child is doing X, Y, and Z, and it's going to reflect poorly on both him and myself <laughs> and have to figure out how to guide that. And I hope I know what to do. I mean, yeah. it's also for you guys during the pandemic, I mean, it's just amazing how many norms are just went out the window down to, I mean, even the, this isn't necessarily a, uh, an issue of etiquette, but it is things like, well, I guess it sort of is, is that people go to work, you know, we would be having a Zoom meeting like we're having right now, and I would be wearing sweatpants or something. And you wouldn't necessarily see it. But if I did get up and walk to the other room and someone saw I was wearing sweatpants, I don't know that anybody would have cared. We're all going to have to like remind ourselves that things like I am that actually wearing okay. running shirts right now because I was just playing tennis. Before I came here. So just I really, and I, I got to go, you guys. I, I got to leave. Get, I actually, my partner gives me, because I get dressed every, because I'm like, I don't own a pair of sweatpants. Um, the only reason this has happened is because I would miss, I forgot the time and I was coming back from tennis and then Rico texted me. I was like, oh my goodness. But, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a whole, it's a new world order. <laughs> it is, I feel like we have a new rule. You guys, when you're, when, when one of your guests stands on his chair to reveal his, his like lower half attire status, that's, that's like, that's the lampshade on the head now. And like, you're like yep. I mean, the real awkward thing is the shirt. Like, why am I wearing an Oxford shirt on a Sunday? Dan only has shirts. Well, I I believe that Dan sleeps in it. I mean, you know. Gentlemen, an etiquette discussion emerges. It's awesome. It's so good to to see you. It's so good to hear you. 
one thing that I do remember from the script is that uh, we said before you walked out the door, we absolutely have to ask you for a joke. Oh, and we could no. Not oh. One, like, but that icebreaker from your show was always a <laughs> always a great great start. I'm lucky that I have our book pants right on. <laughs> you know, in DVD, we'd ask, we you know a question would also be, tell us something we don't know, and it can be a fact about you or something in the world. Yeah. And I bet you Rico doesn't know this, but in Vermont, along with your cheeses, your maple syrup, your creamies, your ciders, your whatever, right? The, the standard stuff you one would imagine. When you drive on that road that goes up through to Burlington, there are signs for Vermont shrimp. Shrimp. There's a shrimp farm. I think I know the sign you're talking about. In and I Vermont. was very confused when I There's saw it. There's a shrimp farm in Vermont. And I, the first couple of times I drove by it, I was like, didn't ask for it, don't need it. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, you know, that kind of science thing. Isn't that an odd fact, Rico? Shrimp, Vermont shrimp. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. Oh man, I have so many good facts and I'm just blanking on it. So I am going to give you a joke. I happen to have our book right here because I was rereading it as That's we were all he preparing reads. to do it's this the article. So it's uh, knock, knock. Who's there? Who's there? To? To who? To whom? Oh! oh! I can't believe I fell for that. <laughs> it's a pretty brilliant joke because it uses the form very well, as well as being a persnickety grammar joke. You're really bad if you didn't. <laughs> And also, I've been pretending to understand that joke since I first started because I went to a bad public school and still don't know how to use who or whom. So I just avoid it. You know, and that's how you got a job working for Malcolm Gladwell. And that's Thank one of the editors. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. You guys, this has been so delightful to do a very long, wonderful Postscript segment. I want to um, encourage everyone to go to Patreon and listen to the entire thing, because I'm guessing we're going to have to make this shorter. (laughs) Guys, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. It has been so great to have you here celebrating our 350th with us. Thanks for having us, and congratulations to you guys. Yeah, your show doesn't look a day under 349. (laughs) That's true. We're really happy that your show made it, Lizzie. So happy that you guys are still together making an awesome show. Couldn't be happier. Thank you. Thank you for having us on your show. You can send it up later. How polite Polite of you to to rub it in our faces. Polite of you to continue on. Thank you. May your show continue to thrive. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today we have a salute from Wendy in California. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I always enjoy listening to your show. Dan, congrats on the family. I'm a mom of three, and it's the best kind of chaos. I'm writing with an etiquette salute for my cousin's husband, Corey. A while back, we were exchanging text messages to make a plan for getting together with our kids. My family was road tripping and passing through my cousin's town. As we tried to coordinate, Corey did something small that I really appreciated. He presented a couple of options and then ended his message with no wrong answer. Those three little words were so comforting and immediately erased any of the angst that often goes with trying to interpret the meaning of a text message. I didn't waste time second-guessing things or worrying that we were going to be an inconvenience. 
Instead, I chose the option that worked best for our trip and looked forward to meeting up. Now, I often employ no wrong answer in my own text exchanges. Thanks for highlighting the kindness in the world. Best, Wendy in California. I love that salute. I And I love people who, who make a message something that's very easy to, you know, to, to just engage with and move whatever the plan making is forward rather than more of the like, I don't know, what do you want to do? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I use no wrong answer all the time when I'm presenting. Not all the time, but it's a <laughs> it, it's a phrase that I turn to and I'm now thinking about using it in texts. I like it. I like it. Wendy, thank you so much for the salute. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something and who supports us on Patreon. Please do connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers, and on social media. You can send us questions, feedback, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette@emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we're at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we're at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Chris Thanks, and Bridget. Thanks, Chris and Bridget.